Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Thinking Ahead, a GFK Insights podcast. I hope that this episode finds you well. Today, we're going to be changing up a little bit. Instead of sitting down with myself and an industry expert, we are bringing you an audio version of our recent learning session on how brands can win the hearts of their consumers in this new marketplace. The session was based on the findings from two different GFK studies with data that we are giving to you for free. The first is the What's Next for Consumers. This is a new quarterly research study that examines key issues that are facing consumers and brands today, along with the Consumer Pulse Study, an ongoing research that has been tracking consumer reactions to the pandemic. You've heard quite a few episodes coming from this data throughout the past year, and this session included the most recent findings from just last month. Taking my place as host in the session is Natasha Stevens, Executive Vice President of Strategy and Product Innovation here at GFK. Along with Natasha, you'll hear some really great insights pulling from the data from Amy Wills, Vice President of Marketing Effectiveness, and Eric Wagatha, Senior Vice President of Consumer Insights, all from here at GFK. This audio version has been shortened, so if you'd like to hear all of the data with visuals, I highly suggest that you click the link in the show notes. That is going to bring you to a full recording of the session. Before we get into it, let me give you a quick rundown on the topics that Natasha, Amy, and Eric will be covering. First, they're going to start off with just a quick look at the quote-unquote new everyday life. Then they really get into the meat of it. They're discussing brand loyalty and how brands can relate to and resonate with consumer concerns. Then an always fun topic and my favorite part of the session, which is a look at the next key generations. Finishing off, they'll give some advice on how to stay relevant, a fight that all brands have as the marketplace continues to evolve. I hope you enjoy this shortened version of the session and make sure to join our next one, which is this June, centering around sustainability. You can find more information on that at gfk.com. With that, let's get into the session. And if you do enjoy this episode and want to hear more like this one, please let us know by leaving a rating and review. Let's get started. So let's jump into the first theme here, the new shape of everyday life, which I know is is very top of mind for, you know, not only consumers, but for us as consumers on this call today. This is a question that, uh, you know, again, I I think we all continually think about throughout the day. You know, what what is normal today? And, you know, based on the data that we're seeing consumers, we will define that as cautious momentum in the midst of change. Right now, consumers are saying, uh, close to two-thirds are saying that they are going to be cautious about going back out. But we also have amongst a smaller percentage, uh, about 20%, that they really can't wait to do the things that they missed. So what's it going to take for people to know that that we're there, that we're at a point where we are starting to reenter life as we knew it before the pandemic? 
Well, there were several essential elements that we found that consumers felt were very important to move forward with their lives. And the top two were not having to wear a mask and having a level of comfortability while eating indoors. But we also see here that visiting family and friends without risk and not having to social distance are also pretty high as uh, essential variables that will signify that we are ready to move forward. But what's quite interesting here amongst the consumers that we spoke to is we're seeing this polarized adaptation. There really is a split approach on how consumers have been experiencing life over the past year. But on the other side, we have nearly half of pe people saying, no, life has been very different over the past year, markedly different. And we have a, a higher percentage of people saying that amongst an older cohort, 51 to 65. So my first question here is for Eric. You know, Eric, um, you know, given what we're seeing here, what are some of the important considerations for brands as they navigate within these polarized mindsets? The key takeaway that we're learning, and we've learned this from prior crises, even looking back to the Great Recession of uh, 2008, the, uh, the terrorist attacks and, you know, 9-11. When we have these kinds of crises, there is an adaptation phase. There is a recovery phase. And during those timeframes, we recognize uh, that consumers adapt mindsets, adapt expectations from brands, but they're doing it at different paces. And I think that's one of the key critical elements we're seeing, particularly with the pandemic, that the recovery from the pandemic is different to different consumer groups, even geographically, right, on a state-by-state -state level, urban versus suburban. So I think the key takeaway here is we will recover, but for brands, it's to recognize and to be really in tuned with your target groups to understand where are they on that trajectory? What are they comfortable with? What new levels of innovations are they seeking? New benefits? Are they comfortable in person? Are they opting more towards online? So I think we're really at a time uh, right now where we need to almost uh, you know, watch in real time and be considerate in real time of how our consumers are adapting and, and you know, moving forward essentially. Yeah, I, I think that's such an important point, Eric. I, I definitely say that, you know, I experienced that. I'd say, you know, sometimes my mindset around all of this changes on an hour by hour basis or, you know, is affected by the weather or what I'm reading in the news. Amy, you know, what are your thoughts about some of the really important considerations for brands at this time? Yeah, I think in the way that Eric talked about consumers kind of metering themselves at different paces. That's what our brands are doing too. But I think the really unique opportunity that we have as brands is that we're in an environment where, you know, um, anything is possible. And for so long, you know, we talk to clients and we as marketers know that it's really incredibly hard to disrupt a marketplace sometimes. And it takes, you know, a huge force to disrupt a category. This is a situation where we've had a huge disruption to, to no one's fault, to no, you know, one particular reason. 
But that has kind of opened the door for a lot of innovative thinking, the ability to create, to evolve your product offerings, to think about how you can potentially message even a little differently to different audiences in a different channel. Um, so, so there's this kind of real freedom that I think was wide open a year ago. And I think the door is still open and that you have the opportunity to really kind of be brave and, and, and don't be afraid to fail as a brand because there's immense opportunity out there. And I think consumers are, are willing to give us some grace in that, that sense that they're willing to try new things. We see behaviors adapting to this point. We know that they are willing to try new things when you know, push comes to shove, they are willing to try new things. Um, you know, one of the one of the findings that I found really interesting in some of our financial data is that for so long, we have struggled with how do we get folks to um, try mobile mobile banking? How do we try to get them to do something outside of a branch? And everyone felt that that was a huge hurdle because folks just love going into their branch, talking to their favorite teller. It's a social activity. And what we have seen from the pandemic is that Folks are very willing, able um, to, to learn a new behavior in, in, in a category such as banking, which has a lot of other factors at play there. So if they're willing to do that, they're willing to try new things. So I think it's on us as brands to, to really be brave and to, and, and to attempt to evolve ourselves. You know, Amy, that's actually a really good point. You know, disruption, I love the use of that word. Disruption is generally something we try to achieve as brands. How do we disrupt the market? And you actually have this event, um, you know, right or wrong, positive or negative, that disrupted everyone's lives. And, you know, we talk a lot with our clients about how consumers have adapted, and, and you know, but it's really about brands pivoting. And, you know, we saw in the early phases of brands, you know, developing very quickly more, um, you know, direct to consumer methodologies, right? or hybrid you know, type of, of, of shopping processes, buy online, pick up you know, at a locker. And all of these things, uh, even Postmates, you know, the, the, the rise of Postmates um, are innovations that were percolating, weren't existing, but this, this opportunity really brought these to the forefront. So in, in a way, we can, we can a bit in hindsight see this disruption, this consumer disruption, this marketplace disruption, as really, you know, a landscape, frankly, of, of opportunity and an openness to new innovations. Yeah. yeah, I think these are such great points because so many consumers have had to change behaviors over the past year. We've had to do things differently and we haven't had a choice. And because of that, it really puts the consumer in a mindset, I believe, of a heightened receptivity. I think that people are more willing um, to try different things and have different experiences because they've had to over the past year. And in many cases, it's been positive in, in being able to have an experience of being served by a brand, perhaps in a way that you didn't think was possible. So I think that that is a, a really great segue uh, to our next topic, which is the changing face of brand loyalty. And, you know, again, I think, you know, one of the themes uh, that's definitely present in, in this theme that was in the last is, is again, you know, this, this polarization in a way. So what does brand loyalty look like in the new landscape? And, and here, you know, we, again, we have a very similar weighting of, of about, you know, four in 10, where, you know, 43% say, you know, I have a lot of favorite brands. And then you have 44, 44% saying, well, I just have a few. And then, you know, others that, that just don't pay attention. 
very interesting here is looking at the many elements of loyalty and really how this has evolved and changed over the past year. So here we're looking at the qualities that consumers consider to be very important when it comes to brand loyalty. And the top quality here is safe use of my data. And second in line here is treating all races, genders, ethnicities equally. You know, these are these are qualities that that I would guess were um, you know probably not as prominent before the year that, that we all had last year. What we see here as well is that trust in brands is up compared to a year ago. Over one third of consumers are more likely to trust brands with personal data. And we look at um, those in a higher income bracket or with higher education, um, it's an even higher number. So I'm going to kick this one off with Amy. Um, the range of data points that we've seen here, uh, not surprising, you know, one size doesn't fit all, but it's definitely taken on a new complexity in this era. So my question to you is, how should a brand engage in this environment, uh, this environment where we've started to spend even more of our lives and make more of our purchases online, but now we're going to start venturing out more? Yeah, I think the interesting thing about loyalty, Natasha, is it, it's not all vanilla, right? There's not once you be once you get somebody into your brand um, and, and you kind of have some affinity and there you consider them a loyal customer, you can't just turn your head and walk away, right? Because as this data shows, consumers are willing to trust us and they are increasingly trusting us with things that are really important. So loyalty is there in some sense until it's not and you don't want to be in the situation where you have done something really disruptive so that's one challenge in loyalty that i think you know if i think back over the years i think that used to be the ultimate north star once you got folks to the bottom and they were in your wheelhouse you could kind of say okay what next but we really need to continue evolving just as we talked about in terms of the continuum of adaptation we need to continue evolving ourselves what are the offers that you know, continue to be appealing to those who are already, you know, a brand advocate for us versus those who are maybe still considering us. And even when you have someone who's loyal, and even if you've done nothing wrong, they can still turn their head and go try something new, do something different, experiment with another brand. And if you just think about over the past 10 months, some of the products and services that have really kind of ramped onto the horizon, whether it be at-home meal services or doing trading of stocks from an app on your phone, different workout routines from the home environment. These are all, you know, evolutions of services that were already available. So think loyalty needs to be an additional way that we think about how do we evolve our offering. And that varies across our target market. There may be things that we do differently for younger consumers. We're going to talk about that segment in a little bit, you know, so again, it needs to be um, something that is dynamic, that we continually look to innovate our kind of position in the marketplace. Now, how do I follow that up? That was really great, Amy. <laughs> you know, just, just to kind of add a, a little layering on, on, on this, and what struck me when you showed that slide with, you know, the elements of loyalty, and really the, one of the key takeaways, and when I, I interact with clients, we focus something right there, perfect. You know, look at where the well-made reliable, oftentimes it's, you know, it's a good quality product. 
and you know has a value helping me save money i mean it's it's what it's book ended around it and i think that's what's so critical is that trust or or loyalty we do expect to be an evolving consideration set these elements will expand so it's not about focusing on any one two or three it's really recognizing that there are more dimensions of loyalty than there ever have now i suspect some of these around pandemic protocol calls are are certainly a reaction to what's happened in the past year but you know some of the things we've been tracking longer term in our data safe use of data you know data safety data security has been a growing issue in the in the US globally as well you know around privacy issues you know data theft id theft and so we learned this online last year as we moved online more people shopping that all of a sudden i'm entrusting a brand with a lot of information about myself my credit card number multiple transactions so this does become part of the loyalty equation uh, you know, we've been looking a lot at social responsibility, sustainability, broader role of a brand in culture. We'll come to that a little bit later on. But, you know, now part of loyalty is also how are you treating diff you know, different groups of consumers, if not your employees themselves, right? So, you know, is there a pecking order? I'm sure it's going to look a little different in different sectors, different categories. But the key takeaway here, folks, is that, you know, the loyalty equation will continue to expand you know, we need to keep on the consumer's pulse. And I think you that's what you mentioned at the end of your discourse, Amy, is this will continue to will will continue to evolve. I'm sure we're gonna layer on more more dimensions. But the 80-20 rule still holds. Uh, you know, once they're once they're loyal to you uh and, and you've satisfied these six, you know, elements and certainly some more, consumers are, you know, chock full with decisions they need to make. So the reasons why I'm loyal, right? Trust in product and brand convenience simplifying the purchase process and relation those are still completely valid and really continue to be the impetus for why focusing on on loyalty uh, and momentum behind loyalty continue to be paramount for brands yeah again when you think about the evolving dimensions of loyalty which again i think just gives brands more of an opportunity to engage and strengthen relationships uh, with consumers i think it's a, a really nice segue to our next topic, which is how brands can resonate with new consumer concerns. What we're seeing in the data here is that many consumers favor activist brands. Purpose has really taken on new importance in the past year, but we do see pitfalls as well. So over half of consumers believe that equal treatment is essential for loyalty and just under half of consumers will choose a brand because it supports a cause I believe in. But then on the other side, you have about one third of consumers who will frequently avoid a brand because of the social position that it's taken. So what's really important is to consider your audience before taking a stance. So I'm going to start uh, the discussion here with Eric. And Eric, I'm interested to hear what sort of guidance that you can provide in this area based on some recent experiences you've had with clients. Tread lightly. We're recognizing that brands need to play a greater role beyond you know, the confines of product and benefits and, 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 and service. Consumers are looking for direction 
uh, and, and corporate America, global corporations to, to become more active. So generally speaking, activities at the local community level, uh, brands have been doing this for, for, for a long time, you know, those resonate, you know, on a micro scale. It's when we're trying to, as a brand, get involved at a macro scale or a national scale that it becomes a little bit a little bit um, you know more challenging there are some brands out there that activism is part of their dna they were constructed and built from the ground up um, so that's generally the association and they've strategically made that decision it's a little more challenging for a, a more let's call it a more traditional brand a brand that's been around for decades or hundreds of years um, to all of a sudden start engaging in, in, in some of these kinds of behaviors that may seem off from their user base potentially, or just the brand persona, the brand strategy, the brand positioning for that, you know, co co uh, consumers have been accustomed to. This data particularly demonstrates though what seems to be happening longer term is this kind of encouragement from younger and younger generations. But we also know, we also have data when you look at this by political affiliation that as you could expect, it's quite polarizing. So, um, you know, this is one where a brand really needs to ask themselves why they feel this is a necessary engagement. Uh, there are obviously er uh, areas around, you know, diversity that are clearly, I wouldn't say as difficult to navigate as what's happening in Georgia the past few weeks with you know with with uh, voter reform and and certainly you know strong differences of opinions and airlines getting involved but the key takeaway we are actually seeing is some traditional brands in various categories are dipping their toes they're recognizing that we live in a market of plenty of of messaging from brands you know constantly uh, you know left and right brands are experimenting with uh, looking at initiatives that that do take a stand and the, what we don't know at this stage is you know what's the, what's the negative trade-off right so a, a brand that sees themselves as everyone is my my target everyone is my consumer probably should not look too deeply uh, at activism because on the one hand the more you entrench yourself with a loyal consumer base you may be off-putting to to other consumer groups as well Eric, you're speaking from a consumer perspective, but also a brand perspective there, right? And I think you're saying, I think you're, the message is the same. I mean, for us as brand marketers, you know, I think our big objective is always to cast a wide net, right? We don't want to alienate anyone, um, you know, as a potential consumer for us. So I think, you know, that's great advice from Eric's perspective across the board. And I think, you know, from a consumer perspective, what they are lo really looking for from brands is just brands to not necessarily take, you know, a, a real definitive stake on one side of an issue or the other, but just to position them uh, themselves with some humanity, with some decency, you know, just some basic thoughts about these issues and not necessarily weighing into, you know, a real fine, fine position in terms of, um, you know, their stance on, um, gender issues or pay issues or, or things of that nature. If you feel like you're really challenged as a brand, I think to Eric's point, you know, I, I think you have to um, toe a very fine line and make sure you don't do any damage in attempting to quote unquote, maybe do good, right? You have to proceed with some caution there. Yeah, you know, the word we all we come back to is actually authenticity, brand authenticity. You know, when you when you have these discussions and these considerations around, you know, social responsibility, do they feel your your activities, your ideas, are they authentic to you to your brand? They may not be today, but if that's where the brand eventually wants to go, then we certainly need a strategy 
that that gets it's there. You know, the one other thing I would just add on to that, Eric, is, you know, we just talked about about brand loyalty and how, you know, it, it's not a given. This is one of those situations that could really, depending uh, on your position as a brand, if you were to take, you know, a position on the on the ends and, and be really kind of potentially controversial, that has huge loyalty implications, right? That's something that can really um, turn a consumer away. And that's the kind of thing that can be quite hard to, to reverse, right? And to get folks back in um, I- into kind of your brand portfolio. So that's one of those things where, you know, if you end up finding yourselves taking these positions and potentially flip-flopping, to Eric's point, it becomes challenging to understand what you what do you stand for? What do you what what is your genuine position on things? So I, I think it it can kind of bob and weave into some different different directions there. All really great points. And, and you know, what I take from all the wisdom here is that, um, you know, it, it often comes down to common sense. So we're actually going to move and dive a little bit deeper uh, into uh, what we are calling tomorrow's consumers and how their attitudes and behaviors have changed and how they've been impacted over the past year. So we've seen a mixed effect of the COVID economy on younger cohorts. Uh, Those between 16 to 35 suffered more layoffs, um, but we've actually seen um, them return more quickly. But these next two data points I'm going to share, this is one of the juiciest parts of the the presentation for me. I'm really looking forward to having some discussion about this and what we're seeing amongst a younger generation. This is 18 to 35, and what we're seeing here is a real mix in brand and shopping attitudes and, and a split on loyalties. So Uh, 18 to 35, they're actually four points below the average consumer in in being less likely to buy whatever is convenient or less expensive. Um, But on the other side, they're three points above average where they're more likely to switch away from a favorite brand. Amy, I'm going to start with you here. There's clearly a bit of indifference we're, we're seeing between this 18 to 35 cohort. What types of shopping experiences will this generation want post-pandemic? So I think you have to look at this age group with two lenses, right? You have to think of them just as a cohort as they as they typically exist and what do we know about them? And then you have to overlay what do we know about the market just given the pandemic, right? And I think that's where you see a really interesting intersection in understanding this group. So this group is typically a little lower on the, these kind of measures of trust, right? They're just a skeptical bunch. They um, are, are a little fickle in terms of the brands they use, kind of developing that loyalty. Um, they are willing to try a lot of brands. That's just who they are by nature of, uh, you know, where they are in their life um, their lifespan, right? So I think that none of that is surprising to us, right? We know that's kind of who they are as a group in and of themselves. I think when you think about this group and, you know, some of the statistics we had there in terms of how they have been really um, impacted by the pandemic in terms of 
unemployment and challenges of finding jobs, you know, moving back in with parents, all of those things that have been kind of, um, you know, more directed into that group than some other groups, it makes sense that they um, are shopping in different ways, right? But I think it's the learning that we can really apply across the board, right? They're doing lots of shopping online as all of us, right? So we almost in some ways have this, you know, zoomed in or magnified Amazon effect here, right? Where we just buy things on Amazon for convenience. And so that's where kind of a, a brand in some ways has really been muted. I think that, you know, this this age group is, is keenly willing to try new things. They're keenly willing to experiment brand to brand and, and see what they like. And, and the one thing we know about them is they will let us know right? We will hear what works and what doesn't. So it's important that we continue, continue to iterate, right? Because this is the one group where you are going to know exactly what they feel and how they feel about what you're doing. That 18 to 35 timeframe is when the brand trial happens. Look, that's when we we are, you know, going through various life stages from, you know, high school to, to college to early career to, you know, coupling or family formation. And so it's naturally a time for experimentation and finding the brands that I'm ultimately loyal to. I will say, though, and again, I go back to the loyalty measures, right? I was just thinking about what you said around, you know, convenience. What convenience to an 18 to 35 year old can be, i.e., um, I can I can shop online and there's various modes of delivery or pickup. Maybe different to uh, you know a 45 or 50 year old. It's as convenient to them as I go to my store and it's on the shelf for me there. So so we we do we can ignore guys that the future is this cohort 18 to 35 in terms of just the volume and size of that population and obviously the purchasing power. So this is one, and we'll get into our conclusions shortly, where understanding that evolving you know, loyalty, where are those triggers to loyalty? What are the aspects that matter to them? I think that's, that's really the big assignment here if we, if, if we fundamentally continue to believe that loyalty is you know, obviously fundamental to our bottom line. So based on all of the brand research that we do at GFK, what we have found is that the brand building blocks have not changed. The four pillars to brand building are still essential. Salience, knowledge, attachment, and experience. So what is the brand agenda for today's consumer world? And, and importantly, what's next? If we were to sum up uh, the three key takeaways from the data that we've shared with you today, as well as the discussion, is that loyalty matters. It will always matters, but the terms are evol evolving. Next, consumers are moving ahead, but are moving ahead at different paces. And third, keep innovating. Really, really important. Risk taking is welcome consumer receptivity is high, and this is a time to create and, and co-create with consumers as we define this, this new world that we're stepping into together. Eric, how do you maintain, how does a brand maintain its value proposition at a time when the equation is changing? Yeah, it goes back to, you know, as near as possible, what insights are we gathering in real time? You, you know, we, we are talking about 
an evolution of the American, you know, population as a marathon, you know, in terms of where where we go next, how do we evolve? And in any marathon, there are you know the pros at the front of the race, there are the the you know the weekend warriors in the middle, and then the the laggard folks at the end. And so, I do expect things like segmenting your consumer, who is your target, how, how have they changed? Those become practices that need to be accelerated or, or revised quite often. So if you do have a segmentation that's a few years old, you're probably going to want to ha have a refresh at that. Um, even things we talked about, like what loyalty is, that continues to evolve. Look at your loyalty studies. What are those measures? What are those attributes? Are you accounting for literally what happened in the past 12 months, but also with some of the deeper trends around moving towards more online, offline, hybrid mindsets? redefinitions of what convenience is the new consumer group of you know 18 to 35 the you know millennials and, and gen z so it's really uh, the way to stay uh, most relevant I, I would say is keep your ear to the ground uh in real time as, as as frankly more than ever obviously that leads to things like um hyper customization or hyper segmentation yes this is going to make things more complicated but the reality is we are 330 million people and the closer we can get to 330 million individual strategy if that's remotely possible really is one of the kind of key learnings coming out of the pandemic that uh, we're not as unified in in thought or actually in re reaction and response to to you know to to the eventual recovery yeah, I think, you know, the way I think about our our world of brands is that as you, you know, pay attention to just what's happening around us culturally, you know, there's this great expectation that we will see a, a surge of 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 new new talents out there right socially that it'll kind of be like the roaring 20s right and that we will have um you know new music new film all these new cultural aspects that really have come during this age of, of, of quiet and i think that's that's a message for us in our brand space so when you hear eric talk about revisiting what are the things that impacting loyalty don't have um don't have your blinders on and just look completely at, at your world the way it used to be. Maybe look at adjacent categories. Look at where there are ways that you can evolve into a space that maybe provides a service that was not really in your repertoire in the past. So I would say don't just turn the page back and replicate what used to work, but now try to figure out um you know, do we have different segments? I would say kind of widen your lens and figure out how can I really evolve and, and kind of ha have a rebirth in a sense, in, in a way that allows, allows me to speak to more people, to offer solutions to more people in a way that's really differentiated from, you know, maybe who, who we were as a brand and, and how people knew us as a brand. So I think our ability to differentiate in a way is also a way to continue evolving our brand from a consumer perspective. Yeah, Amy, I I love um, I love the reference you made um, to to art and culture, and uh, you know again uh, you know people talking about the the expected and I think already happening cultural and art renaissance, brand renaissance, right? I I, I really think there there's you know the opportunity there as well. Uh, so that was that was quite inspiring. Um, everybody thank you so much for joining us for this webinar and we really hope to see you in a couple months where we will have our 
What's Next for Consumers webinar on rethinking sustainability. Thank you very much and have a wonderful rest of the day. That brings us to the end of the audio version of this learning session. Like I said in the beginning, there was a lot of data that we had to cut out for this version. So definitely take a look at the full session so you can get all of the information. If you did like this audio version and would like to hear more in our upcoming learning sessions, again, please leave that rating and review, and I will make sure to include more of these types of episodes in the future. Thanks again.